If you lose to this man, will you finally accept that you're a celebrity boxer and not a real boxer? Next question, brother. This is definitely a humbling experience. I'll take it on the chin, get back in the gym, and we can run it back because I think we put on an amazing show for the fans tonight. Honestly, I felt flat. I got sick really bad twice in this camp, injured my arm. Um, so it wasn't my best performance, but, but I lost. I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying it wasn't my best performance. Well, well, well. Just like my father used to say, every bitch will eventually have their day. And welcome to episode three of Power Hour with Free Royal. I, of course, am Free Royal, and boy, oh boy. If you can't tell, I'm in an amazing mood. I'm just in a great mood. It's my birthday week. A fraud-ass bitch took an L. Got some good sporting events coming up. Had a pretty good sports week the past week. I'm in a good mood. How y'all doing? How y'all doing, man? You know, I, I don't really ever ask how y'all are doing. How are y'all doing? Let me know in the comment section. What y'all are doing this weekend, how your week's been, how y'all doing in general, just let me know. But in the meantime, man, yes, welcome to episode three. You see the title. You see the title. A bitch, a clock, and a rant. So today, we're going to talk about a bitch. We're going to talk about Jake Paul and the L that he took in his fight this past weekend. We're going to talk about a clock a pitch clock that I think is completely and utterly ridiculous for Major League Baseball, and a rant. Um, it's not going to be a bad rant. We're just going to talk about some things that I'm, you know, passionate about. Nothing negative. Nothing negative today. It's all positive vibes, you know. It's all positive vibes. Uh, my birthday week is this week. My birthday is on Thursday, March 2nd. I'll be turning 30 years old. If you haven't listened to the past two podcasts, you know, I've been saying it over and over and over again. And I'm not really a big, like, proponent of, like, celebrating my birthday. Like, I usually don't give a fuck about my birthday. But, you know, it's been a long past year, so, eh, I, I need to celebrate a little bit. But, man, let's let's get into these topics. Let's not waste Anytime, let's talk about y'all's boy, Jake Paul. This past Sunday, Jake Paul took on Tommy Fury in a boxing match. We can call it a boxing match, I guess. And Tommy Fury won. Tommy Fury won the decision against Jake Paul. And a lot of people are claiming, oh, it's bullshit. It's not bullshit. Tommy Fury won that fight. Now, I'm going to try to keep this as simple as possible in my breakdown of this fight. Um, I know a lot of people are casual boxing fans, and even the people that take themselves seriously as hardcore boxing fans are, in fact, they're casual boxing fans. Um, 
so I'm not trying to get too much into what happened in the fight, but, you know, the best way I can describe it is Jake Paul is not a guy that has any type of idea what to do when faced with adversity and having to make adjustments during the course of a fight. For example, Jake Paul was getting hit with Tommy Fury's jab all night. Mind you, Tommy Fury wasn't throwing any sort of feint, right? He wasn't throwing the jab off rhythm. So if you if you know what off rhythm means, it basically means, okay, like during the course of a fight, there's an ebb and flow, right? So you're bouncing, you're bouncing, you come in, you jab, you come back, right? One, two, three, boom, you throw another jab, right? It's, it's on rhythm, right? Step, jab. But during the resets where you expect that sort of rhythm to be, okay, we back up, reset, and then figure out how we're going to approach, and then either Jake Paul advances or Tommy Fury advances, what would happen would be Tommy Fury would basically take a step back and he'd throw another jab during that reset. So it was never a full reset. In boxing, the really great fighters like Floyd Mayweather and Sugar Ray Leonard and Muhammad Ali, they can trick you into thinking that a reset is coming and then unleash a flurry on you. And this is not to say that Tommy Fury is this amazing boxer because he's not he has a long way to go too but Jake Paul not realizing that those resets weren't actually coming so he continued to get hit with the jab he never really understood what range he had to be at to connect during the course of this fight he threw a lot of wild shots he threw a lot of reaching shots and he just looked like I said he is, which is a fucking amateur, a low-level amateur boxer. Okay, he throws his body shots. He puts no type of power behind him. They're all arms. So it's basically just him standing straight up and wailing as if it's like it's a street fight, right? And everybody talks about, oh, you know, Jake Paul's improved so much. He really hasn't. He really hasn't. And this isn't even me just being critical for the sake of being critical. You can go back and watch the fight, whether you are a Jake Paul hater or a Jake Paul fan or Stan, which most of y'all are, that are Jake Paul fans. You're automatically Jake Paul stands the way you talk about this motherfucker. But if you go back and watch the fight, you can see what I'm talking about. He never really had an idea of range. He landed a few jabs, but... He never could put his punches together because he doesn't have any understanding of how to do it against an actual boxer that moves. Mind you, Tommy Fury was getting caught with shots, but that's mostly because he didn't put his hands up during any, you know, part of that fight. Once he felt Jake Paul's, ooh, his killer right hand, once he felt that, he said, shit, you know, that wasn't anything. I could take that punch all night. And he dropped his hands. He didn't show any respect for Jake Paul's power. From that point on, he fought with his hands down. Um, Jake Paul was not winning the clinch battle at all with Tommy Fury. These are things 
that, you know, they were talking about before the fight because they love to downplay everything about the opponent that is facing Jake Paul when they have any inkling that the motherfucker's going to lose. So they talked about, oh, well, Tommy Fury only had 12 amateur fights, so that's not that much experience. Are you fucking kidding me? 12 amateur fights compared to no amateur fights? Look, when I was eight years old, I was fighting in smokers. When I was 12 years old, I was fighting in local tournaments. That's better than having no fucking experience. Even if you go back to me being 8 and 12 and then 16 when I was fighting. It, it's not like you can just step in the ring and automatically know what to do with a guy that trains with the best fucking boxer in the world, Tyson Fury. It doesn't matter if Tommy Fury isn't polished quite yet. He has the mindset. He knows what to do in the ring in situations. He knows how to gauge distance. He knows how to put his punches together. He knows when to throw certain punches. Jake Paul started to duck his head. He got hit with an uppercut and he responded like a person who had never truly been hit before because he turned his back in a boxing ring, which is something you don't do. Ah, don't hit me. I'm scared. That's what he did. He's not used to being hit. He's not used to being in an actual fight with a boxer who knows how to land in the spots on your face that really fucking hurt. And can land because he's so accurate because he trains boxing every day, Tommy Fury. He's accurate enough to continue to land that jab and sting you in your eye, to sting you in your nose, to land that uppercut right on your nose when you duck your head under and then step around and throw a left hook, and then step back and throw a right hand. That's boxing. There's nothing you can see in a Jake Paul fight from Jake Paul that will indicate that he has any idea how to put punches together like a pro boxer. And in order to win fights, unless you're going to have fraudulent ass knockdowns and knockouts, you are not going to win a fight unless you put punches together a few times per round. He was whiffing. He's a fucking amateur. Period. Anybody, and I, and I said this and nobody wanted to listen to me and they just thought I was a hater. But let's be honest, any person who's been training boxing and has fought in a boxing ring can beat Jake Paul in his weight class right now with the pro license. Tell me I'm wrong. We just saw Tommy Fury, who isn't a good boxer, to the level that everybody tried to make him out to be because they wanted to act like, oh, well, now he's finally facing a real boxer. Tommy Fury is really raw, too. He's raw talent. He made Jake Paul like a fucking amateur at times because that's what he is. He controlled where they fought the fight, the pace of the fight. He controlled whether Jake was backing up or coming forward. He was circling away from Jake Paul's right hand, even though he wasn't really worried about the power of it. He was still circling away. He did things that he should have done and was told to do by a corner that isn't just there to suck his dick. Okay? So, 
I mean, it's just, I don't get how people watch Jake Paul and act like this kid is anywhere near the boxer that they try to make him out to be. As soon as he stepped in the ring with an actual boxer that trains boxing and has trained boxing, he was made to look like a fucking amateur. You know, and then on top of that, he had a one-sided rematch clause that he probably won't even use. He doesn't truly want a rematch. He's going to move on and fight somebody else that isn't an actual boxer. We know that. He got one taste of an actual fucking boxer in the ring. He don't want to deal with that shit no more. Then as I played to open this podcast, he had fucking excuses. Oh, I was sick a couple times during camp. Oh, my right arm got hurt. Real Fuck you, bro. You were talking about knocking this dude out in the fourth round. What happened to that shit? Now, all of a sudden you're injured, just like your bitch ass brother when he lost. He said the same thing. Oh, I was sick during camp. I got really sick. No, I'm sick. I'm sick of y'all's bitch asses. Now, if Jake Paul was not a fucking troll and a piece of shit and a cunt and every other bad word I can think of in my head, if he wasn't that, if he was just a guy that was trying to actually make a living as a boxer and he took it seriously, I could accept the fact that he was a lower level boxer that's trying to work his way up. But no, that's not what he's doing. That's not who he is. He's a piece of shit who now has dwindling ticket sales, dwindling ratings for his fights. So they have to book smaller venues because people have seen through him. Period. He's not a real boxer. He ran into a real boxer and he lost. And if it wasn't for that knockdown on that jab, he would have lost by more. So, you know, and I can talk about Tommy Fury. I can get critical about Tommy Fury. Tommy Fury doesn't jab enough. Tommy Fury stopped moving in the second half of the fight, which is why Jake Paul connected a couple of times on him in the second half of the fight. Tommy Fury still needs to learn a bit more about putting punches together in the pocket, about distance. He has a lot of things he can learn from his brother. He has a lot of things about changing directions and his movement on the outside when he's trying to dodge punches. There's a lot he can learn about changing rhythms and throwing punches in the pocket and stepping back and fainting and setting traps. Yes, there's a lot he can learn. But he's worlds better than fucking Jake Paul. He fought three-fourths of the fight with his hands down on the sides. So, for all you motherfuckers that came to my video yesterday when I made fun of him, y'all can eat a dick the way he probably went and did after the fight. You can accept the fact that your bitch boy took an L. And I'm reveling in that. I'm enjoying that. I pray for the downfall every fucking day of trolls. I do. Openly. I don't give a fuck. He's not a good boxer. 
He's not a boxer at all. He's an amateur boxer, I guess if you want to call him that. He's a low-level amateur. He's a fucking beginner. If y'all would call him that, I'd just ignore it. I'd say, okay, cool. Right, you admit it. Nah, you don't. You gotta, oh, you should fight Canelo. Oh, you should fight this guy. Get the fuck out of here. Canelo would put that man in the fucking grave. Are you kidding me? Some of the people, some of the names y'all are throwing out, are you, like, shitting me? Even Mike Tyson would fucking kill that kid. At this age. Y'all need to wake up, man. It just shows how casual you fucking boxing fans are. Anyway. Enough about that piece of shit. We're gonna move on. Um, after the fight, John Fury, or not actually after the fight, but... Before the fight, some week during the press for this fight, uh, John Fury, um, I think that's Tommy Fury and Tyson Fury's father. I don't know why I slipped up there. Um, He met with Mike Tyson, who he has pretty much idolized since Mike Tyson's time, you know, his prime in the 80s and the 90s, and he's a big fan. He actually named Tyson Fury after Mike Tyson. Pretty cool. And John Fury said that he believes Mike Tyson was the best boxer of his era. Now, look, I'm a huge Mike Tyson fan. I've always been a Mike Tyson fan. I was a Mike Tyson fan when I was a kid. I'm still a Mike Tyson fan. The way he's turned his life around, quite frankly, is unlike anything we've really seen from a celebrity, considering, you know, where he was at in his life and where he is now. It's truly amazing, and I commend the dude. That being said, Mike Tyson's signature wins in his career came against Trevor Burbick, a 40-year-old Larry Holmes, and Michael Spinks. Michael Spinks was undefeated at the time. Trevor Burbick was never as good as everybody made him out to be, and Larry Holmes was like 40. Those are the signature wins of Mike Tyson's career. Now, you can talk about the what-if. I think he's one of the greatest what-if stories. If he didn't start hanging around with the wrong crew, if Custom Auto didn't die, um, you know, not tragically, but if he just, if he didn't pass away, unfortunately, um, a lot of these things, you know, he had a bad relationship with Teddy Atlas, who probably could have got him on the right track to the point where Teddy Atlas had to pull a gun out on him because Mike Tyson was volatile. You know, if he doesn't get tied up with Robin Givens, there's a lot of what ifs, right? But we can't judge him by what ifs we can't do the hypotheticals the best boxer in the 90s or i guess if you're gonna say 87 to 97 if you're gonna take a decade that would have to go to lennox lewis and if you want to say roy jones i can accept roy jones as an answer to another one of my favorite fighters but if you look at Mike Tyson, let's just finish on Mike Tyson for a second. Um, Mike Tyson lost to Buster Douglas. He went to jail. He got out of jail. And remember, if he would have beaten Buster Douglas, he would have then got that super fight against Evander Holyfield, which I'm not going to say Tyson was trying to avoid that match, but it didn't seem like he was all too amped up for that match, just from my perspective, 
So, if he would have beaten Buster Douglas, he would have gotten that match against Evander Holyfield. He would have proven he was undisputed, the best heavyweight of that era. Everybody was knocking Evander Holyfield. Oh, he's really a cruiserweight. He's not a true heavyweight. He'll never make it a heavyweight. Looking back at that, that's pretty hilarious. But, you know, he lost to Buster Douglas, okay? Then he faced Holyfield twice. He lost both of those fights, convincingly. So that's the era of Mike Tyson, right? He was young. He was a young bull. He was up and coming. He was already one of the best out there, right? But if you look at who he beat, and this is what boxing's truly about, right? It's about longevity. And it's about who you beat. And when you beat them. So many times people criticize Floyd Mayweather for who he beat, who he fought. When he beat him. That's a different discussion for a different day. But the point I'm making is, that's what boxing is about. When people talk about who Muhammad Ali beat, he beat George Foreman in his prime. He beat Joe Frazier two out of three times in his prime. He did lose once to Joe Frazier in probably the biggest fight, as far as sales and acclaim. But he beat him twice. Mind you, the first time he fought Joe Frazier, he was coming off what? Like a three-year layoff? That's why he's so revered, because of the guys he beat. Mike Tyson didn't beat those guys. That are the notable heavyweights of the 90s, the Michael Moores, the Riddick Bowes, the Lennox Lewis's, right? He didn't fight him at all. He fought Lennox Lewis in 02. By then, he was way over the hill. So, Lennox Lewis. Let's talk about Lennox Lewis. Lennox Lewis's resume is, I, I don't know why he is so overlooked that dude was the best heavyweight of his era and it wasn't close i mean i guess you could say riddick bow but shit i mean you know riddick bow retired and he didn't even want to fight lennox lewis he he'll make it out to be they were trying to force him to fight lennox lewis but he threw the belt in the trash right instead of fighting lennox lewis he threw the belt in the trash so it gotta be lennox lewis the only blemish on his record Back then was Oliver McCall. He beat Frank Bruno, Tommy Morrison, Holyfield, Shannon Briggs, all when these dudes were 42 and 3, 42 and 1, 36 and 0, right? Like, he was beating these dudes when they were still at their fucking peak. Then you look at Roy Jones. Of course, he beat James Tony when James Tony was young, but he was young too. He beat Bernard Hopkins when he was young, but he was young too. He beat um, Pazienza. He beat him. So just his sheer dominance of wiping out that division three or four times during the fucking 90s. Those two have to be the two for the Mike Tyson era that are the actual best boxers. Now, as far as fan favorites, Mike Tyson is right at the top of that list. But you can't say based on his resume that he was the best of that era. He wasn't. Unless you're going strictly on eye test, which once again, from 86 to 89, yeah, you got it. But for an entire decade, no. Um... So moving on, there's something else I want to talk about before I get to the main topic. I do want to talk about the Boston Celtics. Um, This win that they recently had against Philly in Philly was very impressive. It displayed that they finally have that switch that they can flip 
that they believe they had when they actually didn't have it, right? During the Kemba Walker era... Walker, God, I sound like a fucking Bostonian. <laughs> During the Kemba Walker era, they believe they had that on and off switch. They believe they could take bad shots and still stay in games. They believe that they could half-ass, you know, against certain teams and still come back, and they couldn't. You know, they fell asleep at the wheel against Miami, they lost. Miami ended up going to the finals. You could make an argument that Boston should, right, and should is always, once again, a hypothetical, should have been in the finals long before they actually made the finals this past year. But with the addition of Malcolm Brogdon, with the continued just hot streak of Derek White from last year, from last playoffs, these dudes have an on and off switch. They have players who can, you know, they have superstars like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown who can basically shoot terribly all game, and when it matters, they will hit shots that need to be hit by a superstar in crucial situations to win games. We saw that against Philly. They can play from behind, and quite frankly, based on last playoffs, it seems like they prefer to play from behind. I really like this Celtics team. I don't see a team that's going to beat them outside of the Phoenix Suns. I already talked about this. Four out of seven times you have to beat this Boston team is pretty hard. And the addition of Malcolm Brogdon defensively, drive and kick, just an overall creator with the basketball, spot-up shooter, he just adds another dog to this team. They already have guys that are battle-tested and vets. You know, they have Blake Griffin, who's great off the bench for them, both with morale and just bringing energy, right? I mean, there's a huge gap to me between them and everybody else in the Eastern Conference. I guess Milwaukee's fairly close when they're healthy, but I think there's a pretty substantial gap between Boston and everybody else. I just wanted to touch on that because, you know, it's going to be a pretty basketball-heavy podcast this week, but... I did want to talk about the Celtics because, you know, I told people, I'm like, I'm not really worried about them during the regular season. I haven't even watched them during the regular season for the most part because I knew what it was going to be. It was going to be a revenge tour with them running through teams, and that's exactly what it's been. But I decided to watch Philly, or decided to watch them against Philly just to kind of check in and see exactly where they're at coming off the All-Star break. And, yeah, man, they got it, bro. They got They got that on and off switch that... They always wanted to have back then, but never truly had. They have the roster for it now. They have the coach for it now. And they can thank Emei for that, because Emei is really what put that dog in them. Everybody wants to wipe Emei Yudoka's name from, you know, the NBA database or their fucking, you know, mental. But, nah. Your mental Rolodex has to have... Ime Udoka in there when you think about why the Celtics play like they do now and why they're dogs the way they are now with Grant Williams and Al Horford and Malcolm Brogdon and Marcus Smart and, you know, Derek White. I mean, come on, bro. It all started with him holding them accountable. I don't think Brad Stevens held them accountable enough. I don't think he was the coach that those young guys needed. But Missoula has come in, and obviously he was, <clears throat> excuse me, coaching behind 
Ime Udoka in Saudi. Ime Udoka had a no-nonsense attitude. At the same time, he didn't pretend like they were college kids and he was a college coach, right? It was a it was a happy medium. He wanted them to cut down on the bad shots they took, play more defense, close out games. They learned how to do all of that in that one year under Ime Udoka. So everything you're seeing right now is from him. So I think the Celtics are definitely the favorite to win the finals. Moving on, I also want to talk about some things on my mind. The weekly segment, Things on My Mind. Still haven't come up with a new name. Nobody's helping me come up with a new name. I don't know why. Y'all need to help me come up with a new name for this segment. Things on My Mind is vanilla and just boring. But as it is, Things on My Mind. More basketball. Isaiah Thomas is so underrated. I'm talking about Isaiah Thomas from the Pistons. What a legend, man. What a legend. I mean, the dude won two rings in the Bird and Magic era. He made, I think, five straight Eastern Conference Finals in the Bird and Magic era. He made three straight finals in the Bird and Magic era. He was the best to me, other than Tiny Archibald. I know Tiny Archibald won a scoring title and assist title in the same year, which is crazy. To me, Zeke was the best little guy as far as scoring the ball that I had seen up until... I guess you'd have to say Iverson. He was that lethal. And people don't remember that. They remember the bad boys, Zeke. But if you go back to before they got Mark Aguirre and before they got um, Adrian Dantley and you look at when he was truly the only option on the team, that dude was a fucking bucket. And he became more of a quintessential point guard once they got those guys and he kind of moved back into the system of getting guys shots and scoring when he needed to score but make no mistake about it Zeke was a fucking bucket boy now I know that you know the MJ stands don't like Zeke and think that everything he says about Michael Jordan and everything he says in general is disingenuous I completely and utterly disagree. I don't think he has anything to be bitter about. They beat the Bulls three times in a row. The Bulls beat them once. Once the Pistons were fucking old and battered and beat down and had been to five, six straight Eastern Conference Finals. Not taking anything away from what the Bulls did, but let's stop acting like just because Zeke and MJ don't have the best relationship that you can't trust anything Zeke says. I think that's just ridiculous. Anyway, like I said, you know, I think I think Zeke is very underrated. I think he's probably the third best point guard of all time. And quite frankly, before Steph got this last ring, I had Zeke as the second greatest point guard of all time. He was that fucking good. He was. You know, I don't know if you count Oscar Robinson as a point guard. If you do, he has to be up there. But I'm putting Zeke up there second behind Magic up until that last ring that Steph won last year. Now I have Steph second. I don't think there's any way Steph catches magic, but it's those three, and I think there's a pretty significant gap after that. 
unless you count Oscar Robinson, like I said, as a point guard, which if you do, then yeah, it's it's those four and then everybody else. I don't know who would be fifth, right? I mean, you got your Jason Kids of the world and everybody loves John Stockton. I don't. I think he was a dirty player, but that's neither here nor there. Um, you know, it just, it, it comes down to a matter of opinion, but I think Zeke is the third greatest point guard to ever play basketball and one of the best scores of the basketball from the point guard position that we've seen. I mean, we've also seen Walt Frazier, right? Walt Frazier was a dude who was very clutch, just always would come through in a situation where his team needed him, even without Willis Reed. Willis Reed hobbled basically in that game seven against the Lakers back in the seventies. I mean... He's another dude that was a dog. But, you know, this is about Zeke, and I just think Zeke is very underrated, and people kind of discredit his opinion and discredit his career because of their fandom of you-know-who. So I wanted to give him his respect. The other thing I wanted to talk about, which was a very interesting topic as well, is I was watching a game this past week and Mark Jackson said that he believes, I think this was during a Boston and uh, Philly game. He said he believes that Jokic and Joel Embiid are already top 10 centers all time. And it got me thinking. It is hard to argue that based on resume, and we're going to go through this, Layer by layer. If you're talking strictly on accomplishments. Nikola Jokic has to be top 10 all time. There's no debate, right? Now, Joel Embiid doesn't have an MVP. Joel Embiid doesn't have a ring. Jokic doesn't have a ring either, but he has back-to-back MVPs. So... Based on resume, based on what a guy's done, you can't say that Embiid is automatically. But, thankfully, that's not all that goes into being a top 10 anything of all time, right? Because there's credentials, right? There's your resume on paper. But then there's also the eye test, and that's when subjectivity comes in. Joel Embiid is no doubt one of the most skilled centers of all time, probably top five, maybe top three. If you go Hakeem, Jokic, Embiid, however you want to order them, that's probably the three most skilled. We're talking skill for skill. The ability to handle the ball, post moves, the ability to shoot from the mid-range. They have all of that. The ability to pass. It's those three, right? Now, here's the issue. When making a list of the top 10, there are certain people that just have to be on it. Okay, so Kareem, Wilt, Shaq, Russell, Robinson, Ewing, Hakeem, Moses Malone. 
Willis Reed won an MVP. I think you could even bump out Patrick Ewing for Willis Reed, and that would make room to put Embiid in the top 10. But then once again, you have to think about who you really take in between Embiid and Ewing as far as resume. Ewing's carried his team to multiple Eastern Conference Finals, I believe. Carried him to an Eastern, or I'm sorry, to an NBA Finals. So Embiid's career is still going. Embiid has a long way to go, as does Jokic, right? But I think Jokic is already in that top 10, like, firmly in. Like, he's he's there. He might not even be 10. Embiid, on the other hand, you know, like I said, you start talking Bob Lanier. You start talking Willis Reed. No, do not bring up George Mikan. The league was way too underdeveloped. For you to compare him to other motherfuckers that should be on the top 10 list, there's no way. We're not even doing that. Bill Walton, he played less than five years worth of games. We're not talking about him either. But Bob Lanier, Willis Reed, right? Those are two you have to consider. Then you bring in Embiid. But I think Jokic is already top 10. It was a very interesting statement when Mark Jackson said it. I almost thought, damn, yeah, they're automatically top 10. But then the more you think of it, right, when you start putting your list together, it gets a bit more difficult. And I think that Embiid is on the outside looking in right now. But if you wanted to take Embiid out and slide, I mean, if you want to take Ewing out and put Embiid in, I wouldn't even be mad. I just think based on what he accomplished as the best player on a team that went to a finals, went to a couple of Eastern Conference finals, never really truly had a number two scorer on his team. I think Ewing probably gets the edge in that situation. I wouldn't be mad if you take him B. There's a lot of factors to it. But Ewing, he's a stud. So... That was another very interesting thing, and those were the two things that were on my mind. Shit, it might have been three things. I don't even remember. Those were all the things that were on my mind. So, the final topic. Why are we really here? Let's talk about this pitch clock, boy. I was gonna do this... I was going to talk about this kind of like off the dome. Like I was just gonna, I was just going to riff, but I mean, I'd rather refer you to some tweets that I put up that would pretty much encapsulate how I feel about this pitch clock. Spoiler alert. I don't like it. Okay. So this is what I typed. I'm not going to read it word for word, but basically what I said is baseball has an issue with marketing. They have an issue with the length of a season. They have an issue with old farts and older players knocking young players. They have an issue with grandfathered in ideologies, such as throwing at a guy for various stupid reasons. You know, those are the issues they have. And what I mean by that is simple. There are more pressing issues than a pitch clock. There are more pressing issues than the length of games. Newsflash. People don't care how long your sport is if it's entertaining and intriguing and compelling throughout the entire event we're told that basketball games are supposed to be two and a half hours 
I'll be damned if we ain't sitting there every damn night watching it for three hours. This pitch clock saves only 20 minutes on average in minor leagues. Baseball fans know people who are interested in watching baseball, people who watch baseball, people who have watched baseball. You know what they all have in common? They know that the sport is untimed. They know they're going to be there for a while. All these things I named is why baseball is dying. It is not because of a pitch clock. It's not. You got these people online acting like this is going to save the day. This is going to save baseball. How? Do people go to tennis matches and bitch about how long they are? No. If they're watching Roger Federer versus Rafael Nadal, nobody complained about those long-ass tie breaks in the greatest tennis game or tennis match ever played. Why? Because it was captivating. It was compelling. And guess what? Tennis has in common with a lot of other sports. There are only a few times you can see the best of the best play. It feels special. It feels like something that you can't just see every day. That's the issue with baseball. You can't see Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal play every week. People want to see it. They want to see them match up. Okay, another thing, in my opinion, obviously I'll have to actually watch some baseball this year. I remember in the first episode, I'm not watching baseball. I said that, kicking and fucking screaming. But apparently I'm going to have to because, in my opinion, I think this is going to eliminate the chess match between pitchers and hitters. It's going to rush everything. It's going to feel like it's in a rush. It's going to feel like they're trying to avoid a rain delay or something. There used to be banter. There used to be stories told on commentary by the older players and the play-by-play announcer would, you know, call the balls and strikes in between, you know, the stories. And it was compelling, especially during like spring training and during the regular season, because there are, like I said, so many meaningless fucking games. Half of the entertainment was listening to these stories But when it's just bang, 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 pitch, 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 you don't get that. You know, you don't get that during NBA games naturally, but the difference is the NBA is naturally faster moving and more entertaining than baseball is. Part of baseball is about the chess match, about the stare down between a pitcher and a hitter about the hitter stepping out of the box to get in the pitcher's head. All of that is a part of baseball. You're taking that away with this pitch clock, in my opinion. I might be wrong. But if you got 15 seconds to throw to a guy, and he got to be in the box at 8 seconds, 15 seconds isn't as long as people think it is. Just ask your girl. It's not as long as you think it is. Just kidding. But... No, seriously, I mean, 15 seconds is nothing in baseball. It's nothing. When a catcher and a pitcher are trying to get a rhythm? When a hitter is trying to get a read on what kind of pitches a pitcher is throwing? It's not enough time. 
baseball isn't something that can be rushed. It's not something that can be timed, but they're trying to put a time on it. It doesn't work to me. In my opinion, they don't need to recreate the wheel. They need to fix the issues that they aren't able to currently explain to somebody that doesn't watch baseball. And I'll explain, right? So if you don't watch baseball, you're probably asking, why don't they play the other league more? Why does the AL not play the NL more? Why did that pitcher throw with the guy's head just for celebrating a home run? Why does the season last so long? There are no valid reasons or explanations to any of these questions. None. There's no valid reason why a guy should have a ball thrown in his head for staring at a home run leave the yard too long. You want the ball to stay in the yard? You want the guy to not stare at a home run leave in the yard? Keep the ball in the park. Stop making mistake pitches. I've already gone over the season being 162 games. That does not need to be rehashed. That's way too fucking long. Cut it in half. As far as interleague play, do you know how interesting it is to see, you know, potential previews of the World Series? How compelling is that? It's very compelling. There needs to be more interleague play, especially now that we have a universal DH. There needs to be more interleague play. There's no excuse. There needs to be more. So... Once again, cut the season in half, make the games during the regular season matter more, get the star pitchers out there for what would seem to be more often because there's less games, and market your league as a fresh new sport with athletes that are hip and celebrate and express themselves and have fun. But don't try to time your sport, which is what they're trying to do. Here's another thing, and this is the last point I'll hit on about baseball in general. Who the fuck is watching a 1 p.m. game on a Wednesday? Unless you don't got a job. Or you just randomly have Wednesdays off. Look, most people work 9 to 5. They ain't watching baseball at 1 p.m. Put your best teams on in prime time. After 5 o'clock. When kids are out of school. When parents are out of work. That's what I mean. You don't see the NBA. The NBA every now and then. When they know the kids are out of school, they'll put a game on at like 1, 1 p.m. On a Wednesday. Or Monday. But... That just shows there are so many meaningless games. They don't even care when the fucking time. Oh, I'll just put it on eh, 1 o'clock. That's not helping your sport either. How about marketing your players? Show somebody a picture of Mike Trout walking down the street, 10 random people. How many people can identify him as Mike Trout? He's been the best player in baseball for a decade. It doesn't make any sense. So with that, I'm just going to close this topic by saying a pitch clock does not solve baseball's problems. It doesn't. 
it's a shiny new toy that a couple of people that claim that baseball needs to evolve, they, they see it and they're like, oh, this is great. It's going to cut off a half hour from the baseball game. That's fine, but is a half hour really worth the lackluster play that you're going to get some days? Because trust me, you're going to have some stinkers. Now the guys are on the clock. So that's something for Major League Baseball to think about. In general, that is pretty much all I have for you guys today. Pretty quick podcast. And yeah, man, I gotta I gotta just shout out everybody that's been listening to this podcast. Everybody that's been watching my videos. I appreciate y'all, man. I truly do appreciate y'all. The haters, the lovers, everybody. I would like some more interaction in the comments section overall, but I mean, you know, that'll come in time. But thank you for watching regardless. And obviously I'll be back next week with another podcast. I'll be back with some shorts later this week. And if anything pops up, I'll make an emergency video. For now, everybody take care. Be safe. Be productive. Uh, oh, one more thing, obviously. Please follow me on Twitter at WankmanSkip. Please follow me on IG, Free Royal Power Hour. Please follow me on IG on my music page also, Free Royal Music. Also, if you're not catching this on YouTube, wherever you are, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, please share the link. Make sure everybody gets to hear this. I really appreciate it. And yeah, man, y'all stay safe. Y'all stay productive. And I'll see y'all next week, man. Peace.